right, team, Coach Dana Cavalier here with the Becoming a Champion show. And today I got an awesome show for you with one of my favorite people. And he didn't know this before today's episode, but he's one of my favorite coaches to listen to and one of my favorite coaches to watch. This is Coach Tom Mullins, full of energy, full of drive, full of motivation. And man, he shares his big five with us. And one of my favorite lessons is he tells you to always run with champions. So sit back and enjoy the show. It's amazing. It's honest. It's heartfelt. And I know you're going to love it. Enjoy. I'm a big fan of your work and, and how you, how you uh, go about your business. So I, I was excited to, ha- to have you here today. I wanted to kick off. I did have a, a starter question that was based on you being that high energy and, and inspirational guy. You know, when I go to Christ Fellowship down in Florida and I and uh, on social media, I see that you're gonna you're gonna speak. I get extra excited. So, were you always uh, an inspired and motivated person? You know, Coach, uh, I, I grew up uh, with a great uh, inspiration in my grandfather. He he was a man of of uh, uh, powerful affirmation, uh, and and I learned early the power of affirmation and. Um, I didn't have that from my father. Uh, he grew up in a family where there was there was zero affirmation. Okay. I never remember my father even ever saying to me, "I love you, son." You know, hmm. but he would never miss my football game. So I knew that he was there watching me, <laughs> having that. I, I tell a funny story about my dad. You know, one night I ran for 276 yards and scored five touchdowns, um, and I ran over to him after the game like a little puppy dog, wanting him to pet me and congratulate me for having a good game. I mean, it's a fair game, you know, 276 yards and yeah, and five touchdowns for a running back. And I was playing defense as well. And uh, he right away started pointing out the uh, places I could have done better and a tackle I missed one time, being out of position and you know, a block I missed and everything else. I said, I know that, you know, I said, give me a break, give me a little bit of affirmation. I mean, I know we were playing Rosarian school for the blind, but hello, I had a good game. So, you know, you know, give me a break. But my grandfather was just the opposite. He was a man of real powerful affirmation. And um, so I, I took those traits on early because I understood that it was important. And I carried that with me through my coaching uh, to young men because I knew how important that was for me to be affirmed. And I actually, my coaches, um, weren't that affirming, but that I would never forget Dana. I was a junior in high school and, um, my, my football coach, coach young, uh, who played at Xavier and was coaching there in Southern Ohio, where I went to school, a school called Lakota high school, just North of Cincy. Okay. And, um, uh, he, he pulled me aside when I was a junior and he said, Mullins, he said, uh, you've got potential to play at the next level. Mm. And, when he said that to me, that was a form of, of, of he sees that potential belief in me. It was like, he was calling that champion out in me. And it, it, it made me see myself in a different level. No one in my family had ever gone to college, let mm-hmm. alone played college football on a scholarship. And lo and behold, two years later, he was right. He, I, he, he arranged for me to have multiple uh, college scholarship offers and I remember when I was invited back to uh, my high school reunion uh, and I didn't want to even admit that I'd been out of high school for 50 years. I mean, I was in total denial. <laughs> I, I, I thought I was only about 55 years old and they're telling me, telling me it's a 53 union and they were con- trying to convince me to come back. And I said, no, I'm not going to go back up to Ohio from Florida. And 
see all those old people and anything. <laughs> and she called me back again. Uh, our class secretary said, you know, you were the class president. I, I'd actually forgotten that. Uh, wow. Dana. I, I remember I was captain of all the teams I played on, but I didn't remember being president of class. She said, you have to be. I said, no, nah, I'm not going to come. And so she calls me back a third time. She said, hey, Coach Young is going to come and he wants to see you. Mm. I said, I'll be there. So I did. After 50 years of being away from him and not seeing him, I changed my entire schedule to get back up there because my coach had said to me when I was a junior, I see potential in you to play at the next level. And it, so I that whole power of affirmation is so critical. And I've tried to use that through my coaching at all levels and even now in what I do in ministry. And I still, you know, I still coach. That's what I'm doing. I'm just, you know, coaching on a different kind of team. Yeah. But it power of affirmation is critical. And I think all great coaches understand that and they they know how to to reinforce their players uh, and call that champion out in them through positive affirmation. Yeah. So for you, you know, when you affirm yourself now, you know, when you're coaching yourself, what are, what are some of the things that you say to yourself to keep you going through life's journey? Well, I, I, I think um, a lot of it has to do with, uh, I'm such a big uh, person on the old school that your, 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 your greatest tool of, of influence is your character. And, and so keeping yourself um, within the right kind of boundary and guidelines that you set and the moral spiritual standards for your life and uh, realizing that there is an accountability uh, in, in your life and, and you want to honor that, you want to lead by example in your life. And I think about those that are beyond that went beyond me because um, I think we're all a, a reflection of those who have had the, the primary influence upon our lives. And I, as I mentioned, my grandfather, I mentioned other great men and other great champions, because I'm a big believer that uh, you've got to run with other champions. You, you, yeah. You've got to seek them out, find ways to add value to them, build relationships with them, uh, and, and because they will, they will pull you to another level. I mean, the mm -hmm. champions will help when you run with them. I mean, it's, it's a whole thing. It builds even a higher sense of accountability within yourself. So I, I don't know if that answers the question for yeah. you. But no, I, that way. I love it, you know, because it's true. You have to run with champions and every, and everything changes for you when you do that. It's sometimes, you know, we go years and we don't evaluate our, our friends circle or sometimes even our family circle and say, Hey, I need to make some change here. And yeah. years go by and, and you're not running with champions and there's a cost to that. Well, you know, one of the things I'm learning too, Dana, is that I'm not only running with, uh, I, I can be honest with you, I'm 76 years old. So <clears throat> I don't like hanging with guys my age. Uh, yeah. They're too old <laughs> uh, and they act too old. They think too old. They're talking about their hurts or their, 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 all their stuff. You know, mm. I have a doctor's appointment. I, I haven't got time for that. Yeah. Uh, I, I like hanging with young champions and these young champions inspire me. I get to mentor them a little bit, but there's a reverse mentoring going on mm. because when I hang with these young champions and I see the, the potential in their lives and the hunger and the energy, it, it just, you know, it helps me to stay focused and energetic and excited about that. And also better able to connect with these younger generations uh, because they're, you know, the old school coaching uh, world, we, we, we approached it totally different, you know, yeah. than nowadays uh, with the way our cultures is and, and the way the dynamics of young men and women are, 
that are coming up into the athletic world. And um, we, we have to be aware and sensitive and we don't compromise the core values of what we're doing, but we, our approach, I think our approach is we have to be wise in how we approach and uh, bring the best out in each of those that we're trying to coach and encourage and um, always holding ourselves to a higher standard than we hold anyone else. Yeah. I think a lot of coaches today, they struggle with that because a lot came, a lot of them came from that old school coach. They right. came from a guy like you, they were brought up in a program, you know, of, of yesterday. And now they're trying to understand what the landscape is and how to, how, you know, how do I speak to these athletes? How do I speak to these kids? How do I speak to people? Cause I don't want to offend anybody, but at the same time, I want to push them and I want to drive them and I want to motivate them. Yeah. You know, I was uh, talking with coach, uh, uh, Peterson the other day, coach, coach, of course, as you know, uh, uh, coach, the uh, Philadelphia Eagles, hmm. uh, to the Super Bowl championship. And he is uh, down here in Jupiter, Florida now attending okay. one of our campuses. And I'm getting to know him uh, during this season. Cause he's going to go back to work probably December. He, he's going to get hired by somebody. They put him back to work. I've been lobbying to be put on his staff. I said, Hey, you know, I, yeah. I'm an old coach. I like to get back on the staff somewhere. Let me, <laughs> I, I, I'll tell you, I mean, let me be team inspirational guy. Yeah, man, you, you could be the team chaplain. Yeah, team chaplain. There you go. I love, <laughs> I love to do that. But 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 Coach Coach Doug and I were talking about this, and uh, he made a comment that <clears throat> from someone that he had been talking to that uh, at Notre Dame uh, they have structured their team meeting room differently than um, any team meeting room I thought about because typical, you know, when we have. Uh, we used to call them skull sessions. When we bring them into the team meetings, you know, we'd have them set up in one of our rooms and everything was set up the same. But he said there they have realized that these students and these student athletes, they all learn and process differently. Mm -hmm. So like they've got lounger seats down the front rows for guys that want to sit and lounge back and be that yeah. way. The next row up, they've got like uh, a desk. Uh, there and 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 straight up chairs so you can put your laptop on that or your playbooks on that whatever the next level up it's a different type of seating mm. all the way up to the back row it's it's standing tables where you stand at the table okay take your notes and do your thing so in other words get into what you are comfortable with in a position physically that you can learn in that moment and when we were talking about that i said it's interesting now that how we have to take things into consideration uh, to help our, our student athletes that we're trying to coach or those individuals trying to coach, uh, looking at it from perspective, how do we position them in the best position so they can learn and understand and we create that kind of an environment for them versus just how we learn or understand mm -hmm. in, in our kind of environment. You know what I mean? So yeah. that, that was an interesting conversation we had that could open up Oh yeah, and, you know, I, I want to learn more about that. I want to say the guy's coming out with a book, and I, and I right now I'm sorry, I've, his name slipped my mind. I'm going to get his name and get it to you. Yeah, I, I want to read that book that he's, he's writing on that, how to yeah. create the environment for the students to really grasp and learn. Yeah, it's interesting. It's it's saying, hey, you know, we're going to put them in the best position to win by their choice. Right. Exactly. I love that. Yeah. You know. Uh, yeah, you know, because coaches, you know, we, we coaches, we want to we want to motivate and, and challenge, you know, our players to always be excelling, always putting forth their very best. And uh, and I think knowing how to do that in these days and navigating that, uh, mm -hmm. understanding that there are not as many common values 
that there used to be. There used to be a set of common values that we all were kind of raised with and yeah. and and even down to the work ethic. You know, there was always a common high value put on work ethic and a training and all the things that we would did and kind of took for granted that we thought everybody thought that was of high value. Therefore they they placed high value on it. So yeah. that that makes an interesting dynamic too as well. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Coach Tom, when, when did you make the decision to become a coach? Cause I, I'm guessing you didn't go to college to become a coach. Oh no. I think all of us that play sports, we our aspiration is to play at the next level, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, once I was able to make it on the college level and, um, and then, um, I, I had, I had one or two fleeting tryout moments, mm. um, uh, for the next level that, did not pan out. I just simply wasn't fast enough. And I'd had a major uh, leg injury. Uh, I had to have knee surgery uh, mm. in my sophomore year. And so I, I didn't have the speed. I, you know, I was a, I was a running back at about 205, 210 mm. and uh, you know, hello. So they, they're pretty much come like a dime a dozen kind of yep. things, you know, but, but once I realized I couldn't, uh, I wasn't going to play at the next level. Um, I, I wanted to coach. I, I just love the game so much. Mm. And my uh, college coach gave me an opportunity to be a grad assistant. Mm. So uh, that grad assistant year really launched me into coaching. Uh, and um, I, I fell in love with it. And I was coaching running backs and uh, working with building our offensive game plan. I got to set up with the offensive coordinator and call plays from the press box. And mm. so I really started becoming a student of the game from that standpoint. And, uh, I, I just fell in love with it. And then I was, I was blessed to have, uh, opportunities to excel and, um, and win. And then if you, I think if you win early, it, it's so much easier, obviously yeah. for your career. And, um, I had that opportunity both on a high school level and college level and, uh, ended up coaching a couple undefeated teams in, in high school and coaching some great players that went on to even play pro ball. And, um, and then got back into the college uh, side of it again, enjoyed that, and then uh, became a college athletic director mm. and kind of loved that. So I've, I've been through that whole athletic world and it was, yeah. it was wonderful for me. But I, I, think I, I think I really realized that about my junior year uh, in college that I think this is where I'm going to head because I love the game. I want to be a part of the game. Uh, and I knew that my playing uh, days were going to be you know, coming to an end here in another year. So, so what am I going to do? Mm. So I kind of set my course about that time. And uh, I think I even started lobbying my my head coach. I said, hey, coach, because I knew because there were a bunch of grad assistants always running around. I said, hey, coach, I, I'd like to be considered as a grad assistant, you know, mm. for that. So what, one of the things helped me, I said, I set the uh, game rushing record, uh, single game rushing record my final year uh, in my final game. Mm. So, I think I, after setting that rushing record, I came off the coach. I said, coach, now, you know, I need that gratitude. He was gracious to me. And uh, I had a great relationship with coach. His name was coach Lester Kraft. And uh, he brought me on and, uh, and I could have stayed there, but I, I, I the problem is I was married, had a child. Hmm. Uh, I completed my master's degree and they didn't have a full-time position, only another grad assistantship. And, and that's when I ended up taking a job in Florida and um, came down and coached a couple of great teams here in Florida. And I ended up that was a good move because 
I ended up building relationships with people that God used all those years later to actually be the foundation for building Christ Fellowship Church. So yeah. Yeah. God, you look back and you see God's hand in all of it. You know, at the time I didn't, I just wanted to go coach football and win, you know? So, yeah. That's amazing how it works. So, so for you, you, you never had a job outside of sports. Is that, is that fair to say? Well, um, I, I worked other jobs uh, in the summer, especially through college. I mean, I've done everything from construction jobs to working in, a, in an ice cream dairy, you know, that okay. where, where I <laughs> ice cream in a freezer and, uh, and working on construction doing that. But you're right. Once I graduated college, I was, I was in sports uh, full time, education and sports, you know, and um, uh, doing that. And I had a master's uh, level education at the time. So that allowed me to to um, teach and do what I wanted to do. And and so, yeah, I was basically in that my whole life um, in athletics until I I made the uh, jumped into deep into the pool and went into full time ministry. Yeah, I, that's what I was going to ask you. What, when was that and what 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 was the feeling you had? What catalyzed that move? What what took you took you there? You know, what's amazing is that, you know, I was 38 years old and, and I was, you know, thinking about, you know, the smell of the, of, of the uh, grass in the fall, it always makes you go, okay, what's, what's our next opportunity here? I I've been in college and lecture for about seven years and, and, um, I, I was kind of anxious to kind of get back into the real active coaching role or something I could have greater impact. Yeah, you know, I'm always looking for where's that opportunity to have greater impact with my mm -hmm. life kind of thing. And I had, I actually had a couple of friends that had gone to uh, work for some professional athletes that everybody would know. And, uh, and they were making really good money. And I was, and I had a son heading off to college and I'm thinking, guys, what do I need to maybe look at this mm -hmm. kind of a move or this move or what, what is my next move? I'm not sure. And then what was interesting, we were, uh, Dana, serving a local church just as volunteers. My wife and I, uh, always wherever we've been, we tried to serve the local church. You know, we would work with the youth programs. My wife would work with the choirs and children's programs. And, and believe it or not, I used to get up and lead hymns, you know, at the church. You know, I'd wave my hands around and, and we'd say <laughs> whatever, you know, kind of thing, you know. So, and uh and so this, this local church was taking a trip to Israel and they invited us to go. So I decided that'd be a great thing to go to Israel. Never been there. So I took our whole family and we went to Israel and um, I, I was, I was just taken back by um, having coming to a closer realization of God's love for me. Hmm. And, you know, my grandfather who was my hero was a pastor. My great grandfather was a, a pastor as well. So hmm. I kind of had this, pastoral line in my family. Yeah. And in my mind, I said, who in the world would want to be a pastor putting up with people's problems and people <laughs> whining and counseling? I don't want to do that. Go run a lap, take a pill. You'll be all right. Get out yeah. of here. Let's go. You know, and, and you know, I have a coach's mentality. I'm still kind of that way. I tell people, yeah. don't come to me for counseling. I'll coach you, but I won't counsel you. Yeah. Because counseling takes listening. You know, coaching, I'll just give you direction, tell let's you where go, to go. Let's go. So, yeah, come on. Um, but I, I, I kind of had a spiritual encounter. Now, a little side interesting note about this, Dana. I, I came back after that trip, and I was contemplating what this next move in my life should be. And I was over playing tennis with Jack Nicholas, the golfer. Mm -hmm. And Jack, by the way, is, is a great athlete. He was a three-sport athlete in high school. And 
uh, you know, he, he had basketball scholarships, but of course he stuck to his game golf and that was what he should have done, but he's always been an avid tennis player. He loves to play tennis. So I, I was playing tennis with him one day and, and we sat down, uh, after we'd played a couple sets of singles and uh, I was kind of sharing with Jack where I, where I was, what I was considering, trying to look for the next thing in my life. And he looked at me and he said, Dana, he, he said, he said, Tom, he said, it's obvious to me what you should be doing. I said, really? What's that? He said, you should be following your first love and that's ministry. You should be full time in ministry. I'm going, mm. what? Jack Nicholas, the greatest golfer in the world. He has spiritual insight to what I should be doing. I'm sitting there like, duh, am I that clueless? You know, I remember going home and telling my wife, she says, yes, he's exactly right. That's what we need to be doing. So that kind of led to the progression over the next several months of a lot of prayer, a lot of uh, consideration and getting a lot of good people around me to pray with me and mm. and counsel me and coach me. And uh, that's when we made the transition and we decided to take the next deep plunge. As they said, man, we jumped in the deep end and said, we're going to start coaching on a spiritual level here. And, uh, but I got to tell you, Dana, I miss football. I miss it every fall, yeah. every fall. I, I just, I miss the game. I miss that, but uh, I love what I'm doing too. And I love trying to help people and coach them up to the next level to be the champions in life that God has really positioned all of us to be. Yeah. Well, well I'm a, I'm a big fan of your, uh, Super Bowl sermon. You know, I think it brings you right back to game day. <laughs> yeah, it does. I, I, I love to take advantage of that. Uh, you know, I love Super Bowl weekend. I love trying to fire people up and tell some old football stories. The funny thing about our ch- church is they've heard all my stories yeah. many, many times, but they still love them and they yeah. still laugh at them and they still enjoy them. You know, they, they drive home the point. But uh, but coaching has been a great a blessing. And I've, I've used Everything I learned in coaching, Dana, I, I, I tell business leaders all the time, it'll help take your business to the next level if you start to lead like a coach, hmm. you know, because there's such a contrast between leading like a, a typical leadership or a boss would lead versus how coaches lead. And I actually do lessons on that. I, I've actually gone and done some corporate uh, outings with uh, guys and uh, just talked to them about how to really begin to take a coach's mindset to their leadership dynamic and creating a culture uh, within their organizations where uh, you are able to coach people up. and But you've got to remain coachable yourself if you're going to coach them up. Wow. You know, for instance, you know, one, one simple thing I'll give you on that. Um, a, a, a boss will hire you to do a job. A coach will recruit you to join a team. Hmm. And there's difference. A job has a very narrow focus to it. And it's hard sometimes to relate what you do to the bigger picture. The coach starts off recruiting you to come in to join the bigger picture and then realizing how critical your role is to helping the big picture be fulfilled. And so he recruits you to be a part of a team dynamic, pulls you in. He pulls you around the table, Mm. you know, where. Oftentimes, if we're not careful, we hire people and we put them in their cubicle and we expect them in front of their laptop to do their work, to do what we want. But they're not always connected with the bigger picture and and the the importance of that significance of their role and all those factors. I mean, that's just one of many things I talk about. But but when we approach as a coach, I just think it can help us take our team. So I've used that that whole coaching model to build 
the way we lead our team here at Christ Fellowship. And, uh, and Todd, my son, uh, who's uh, been right with me from the very beginning now is our, he's our head coach. You know, yeah. I've gone from head coach to now back to an assistant coach and I'm assisting him. And yeah. uh, he's, well, he's our head coach and doing a phenomenal job. I, absolutely. I tell you what, you know, it, it's a it's a well-oiled machine that you have that you have working down there. Every time I, I go, I say, man, everything is just perfectly in sync. Now, I know there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes to keep it that way, like any great team. But but it's very, very impressive. I, I, I wanted to take just a half a step back because I've been coming across a lot of folks lately that say, you know, I, I don't know if I'm doing what I should be doing. Um, I think there's more for me sort of where you were when you were 38, 39 years old. And some of these individuals are of that age, some are 40, 50, and even 60. Um, you know, how do you, how do you get yourself in alignment and find what it is that's next for you? Like, I know you shared your journey, but is there anything that, that you would share to somebody that's in that place? Well, you know, I, I think, um, you know, John Maxwell, who's a, a great friend, and of course, he's part of our team here at Christ Fellowship as well. But I mean, John's written, you know, well over 100 books on leadership. But, you know, uh, a simple mantra that he's always I hear him say over and over again is that is, you know, that um, you've got to really um, understand yourself and understand your real strength zones, because that's where the energy comes. Uh, when you are when you are positioning yourself in some place that you really have the strengths and gifts and abilities to do. Okay. Uh, and and that's where you do that. Um, and, and I think energy and then and then I think also there's a, a sense of real satisfaction that comes because, you know, you are doing what you were gifted and you felt called to. And, and then that creates, I think, its own sense of momentum for you mm. uh, and validation for you, because we all want to be validated in that what we're doing is making a difference. It's having a positive impact. And I want to be in a position where I, I, I can do that. Um, I, I, you know, and, and sometimes we find ourselves in things that we just don't we're, we're constantly questioning what's the real significance of this? You know, I, I think that's where I was. I wanted to know, I want to have real purpose behind what I'm doing yeah. just behind earning a good salary. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I want to have some purpose that I see is uh, of value, uh, not only to me, but value to others. So that's kind of how I always related. What am I doing here? Why am I doing it? Am I doing it where I'm strong? Am I in my strength zone? Um, where, where I'm really gifted. There's sometimes we, we want to be in an area because we admire someone and we admire certain giftings they have and abilities they have. And we try to put ourselves into that and it's a, it's a rough fit. Um, so the comparison game is tough because you don't, you know, you want to learn and grow and be inspired to do that, but you got to also uh, have enough self-realization to understand where your real strengths are and people around you that can help you also. Um, help you with that. I remember uh, I wasn't about to step into this big life change move without a team of people, strong people around me that really believed that it was the right move. They see that call in my life and ability to leave in this world and they were going to stand with me. Hmm. And I've told, I told 
this story many times that, you know, there was a, a couple by the name of Dick and Mabel Smith. They were like a father and mother to me. And he was like a spiritual mentor and coach to me. And, um, you know, after my grandfather passed, I used to go to my grandfather and I talked to him about every major life decision. I always had him to kind of go to, you know, yeah. and he was the patriarch of our family and he was there. Well, when he passed, I, I, I had this guy, Dick Smith, that I built a relationship with here in Florida. And even when I was in Kentucky coaching, Dana, I would fly to Florida to spend time with Dick and talk and pray about um, the next moves, even my coaching decisions. I was making to go from one school to another school. And uh, because I just trusted his wisdom and his opinion, I knew he loved me and he wanted the best for me. Well, I did this when I made this big move uh, to the church world. And um, I said, Dick, I'm not going to make this move without you. And he said, well, once he said, I really believe it's of the Lord and we are with you. Then I said, okay, let's go. So, and he stayed with us. Uh, he's now in eternity and in, in heaven. And, uh, but his family and all of his children, all of his grandchildren are with us. I mean, they just, you know, so yeah. that was one of the things I did. I, I just wanted to have good sound counsel around me that would help me really stay focused in where my gifts and callings and, and a sense of strength was. And I think that's critical to yeah. making these good decisions. Well, you speak and, about, uh, not to interrupt, I'm sorry, you know, when you said comparison, you know, I think today that takes a lot of people off their own game and, and out of their own lane. And with social media oh. and everything, it happens so easily. Right, for sure. And, you know, I, in, in the end, we have to be self-motivators. We have to be self-starters. Uh, and I think every true champion is that way. I was um, having this discussion with Coach Peterson. Uh, I was interviewing him for a, a book I'm writing, and uh, I'd heard him speak at a men's uh, business uh, breakfast. And uh, he kind of got up and said, this is my coaching philosophy for my life. And he said, I wake up every day with these four things that are kind of my guideline that to motivate me for the day. And I said, oh, I love this kind of stuff. You know, coach saying, here, here's my yeah. give, it me, give it to me. So when I, was, when I was interviewing him for the book, he said that really, I said, coach, I referred back to that. He said, well, really, I got that from Andy Reid when he was on Andy Reid's staff. Okay. Because, you know, Coach Peterson played 14 years in the NFL. And then he coached also under Andy Reid and uh, at, at a couple stages. But anyways, I'm going to give Coach Peterson the credit for what he said. Here's the four things he said. He said, every day I wake up and I say, okay, today I'm going to create energy. Mm. I'm going to be the one to initiate. I'm going to be proactive. I'm going to uh, attack today with a game plan. I, I've got goals and objectives today that I'm going to accomplish today. So in other words, he, he's not waiting on somebody else to create energy for him, somebody else to motivate him, somebody else to initiate for him. He's going to be the initiator. He, he's going to be the one to create energy. And I think too often times uh, we sometimes are looking to others to do things that really we've got to take responsibility for in our own life, you know? And so I thought that was interesting. And, and here's the second thing he said. He said, I'm, I'm every day, I'm going to eliminate distractions. Okay. Things that are not, I know are not the top priorities that are going to help me accomplish what I know I'm called to accomplish in that day and this time or in this season. 
And so I'm going to eliminate those distractions. So that just talks about focus, yep. you know, and every great champion is known for their focus. We were talking about Jack Nichols earlier. I don't know anyone that has more focus than Jack. I mean, when you, I've known him for 40 plus years, he's been a friend. That guy, when he locks in, like when he locks in on a putt, he's just boom. I remember one time he was playing in a tournament years ago, and I don't remember what the tournament was. I remember watching it on television. He won the tournament, and there was like on, I don't know, 16th, 17th hole. He went up on the tee. Everything was silent, and there was a dog in somebody's home adjacent to that tee barking like crazy. It was so loud on the television. It was louder than the announcers were talking. Wow. And and, and I'm going, gosh, that's so distracting. And Jack hits the shot, goes on, wins the tournament. He comes home. We have a little party for him. I said, Jack, uh, uh, on Sunday, when you're on the 17th hole, do you hear that dog? He said, what dog? I said, oh, there was a dog barking so loud. He said, I didn't hear a dog. He said, Tom, I don't hear anything. He said, I am so focused. I am in a zone. I hear. In other words, I eliminate all those distractions. I am so focused. Boom. And I think that that's a real key. And the third thing he said was, I'm going to face every day. I'm going to fear nothing. Hmm. Coach Peter said, I'm not going to fear anything. I'm not going to let fear. Uh, so in other words, I'm going to face it with courage. I'm not going to let anything intimidate me. I'm not going to be intimidated by whatever the challenge I have of that day. I'm not going to be intimidated by it because if I am, I'll get back. Up. My weight will get back on my heels instead of being up my weight forward. And also mentally and emotionally, I'll get back on my heels instead of leaning forward with confidence and courage to face something. There's a lot in that. Yeah. And then the final thing was, he said, I'm going to attack everything I do. In other words, I'm not going to go slow into it. I'm going to go after it hundred percent full speed. Boom, go get it. Um, so he's going, he's going, he's going to be hundred percent after whatever I'm going to do. I'm going to do it hundred percent. I'm going to, you know, boom. Now I added a fifth one to it. Okay. I said, coach, I'd add, I'd add a fifth thing to your, to your mantra because I agree with the first four completely. And I try to practice that in my life. And I said, the fourth one is, I mean, the fifth one is, is I would, I'm, I'm committed to excellence. Hmm. I'm committed to excellence. That is, I'm going to simply give my best, no matter the size of the assignment. Hmm. I'm going to give my best, no matter the size of the assignment, whatever I'm doing. I've told young leaders, um, especially here that come in, I said, listen, if you give your best, no matter the size of your assignment, consistently, you will never lack for opportunity hmm. of greater opportunities and greater assignments. I never had to go look for a job. Jobs came looking for me. Hmm. And I find that if you excel where you are and you do what you do with excellence, people are looking for you to come to them. Hmm. You don't have to go to them to find you. And, it's, and, and I said, you know, opportunities are always waiting for those that are consistent and they're committed to excellence. They're always going the second mile. I always tell, I tell our team all the time and our staff, if this is the level of expectation for you that, that you have with your job assignment and your, 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 your positional assignment and all that you have here, you should set a standard that's higher than that. Hmm. And when you always perform higher than is expected, you will never lack for opportunities of growth and opportunities for position you to the next level. So 
I, I just love that. But when Coach Peterson shared those things, create, create energy, eliminate distractions, fear nothing, attack everything, and committed to excellence. I tell you what, that's a pretty good mantra for us uh, as leaders. Yeah, that's, try that's, every day. that's that's the big five right there. The big five, baby. Yeah. I, I had a, we I had, uh, we had, in offense, we had a big five. I actually had this thing called the big five, and it was five plays we would run on, on uh, first two plays were on first sound, first sound, very, this very first sound, and the third play was uh, on a longer count because we wanted them after two times going boom, boom. And we came up again and we go boom and we wanted to jump offside. So then we had, to, but then we had two more plays depending on where, how many yards we had accomplished and we could make our audibles, but we called it the big five. When we have run that thing, people would even know it. Our <laughs> opponents would say they're running the big five and we'd still run it on them and execute it yeah. because we were so precise at running those plays. So this is the big five. I think if you run these big five every day, I really believe you're going to have great success. Yeah, I, I agree with you. There's one number three on the big five, the, the fear nothing. Oh, boy. You know, so so many today, it's like, you know, fear paralyzes them. Fear inhibits oh. them from taking the next step. What What would you say? How do you how do you overcome that? What's what what are some action steps that somebody could take to overcome the fear that dominates them, freezes them, causes anxiety and stress and and just distress? Well, I, I think I, I think our nation, especially coming off, uh, we've kind of had like the perfect storm hit mm. us in the last couple of years. We had all the the racial tension and unrest that happened. Uh, we had all the political tension that was going on during the elections last year. Uh, and then we had the pandemic on top of it. And, 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 and it has created a level of anxiety that I've never been a part of or been aware of and, and seen in people's lives. And, and even experienced to myself to a degree that I had never really experienced before. I was I was kind of one of those kind of guys that denied that fact. You know, somebody tell me they had a panic attack. I'm going, what's that? Yeah. Come on, man up. You don't need a panic attack. And, or, or someone said, I'm dealing with anxiety. Or doing, I'm going, what, what? You know, I was, I was, I did not have much empathy. Let's put it that way. But, yeah. but, but, but this is how God works. He allowed me to go through some things in this past year that in, uh, had some health challenges. I got COVID, um, I was dealing with some other issues and suddenly I started feeling this thing. And I'm going to my wife. I said, man, I'm feeling this strange, almost kind of heaviness and this weight and my thinking, and I'm not as clear in my thinking and focus. And all well, she says, you're dealing with anxiety. I said, no, I'm not. I was in denial, but I'm, I'm not. <laughs> dealing with anxiety. I said, yes, you are. So, you know, I immediately, then I knew what I need to do. I need to get into God's word. I needed to pray. Uh, those of us that are followers of Christ, uh, we have a pattern given to us in, in the word of God, uh, not to be anxious about anything, but in everything, make your petitions or requests known to God. And it says the God uh, will, the, the God of all uh, glory will bring peace into your heart, into your mind in, in the book of, of Ephesians. He tells us that. And so I had to get back in the word. I had to get uh, closer to God in those times and, and deepen my prayer life in those times. And also get with very good, positive people hmm. that are there to encourage and reinforce you. And uh, and and some close friends of mine said, hey, I'm dealing with some struggles I've never dealt with here before. 
uh, I just want you to, to pray for me and, and just keep, keep me in your heart. And, and I'm, I'm trying to keep them in my heart. Um, so, you know, it, for me, from a, it was a spiritual standpoint of dealing with it. You know, I, I, I wanted to deal with it spiritually by getting back into the word of God. That is my source of comfort and realization that my God's with me. He'll never forsake me. The old Paul statement, I can do all things through Christ. It gives me strength. You know, um, all things are working together for good to those who love God and call it according to his prayers. I said, God, it sure doesn't feel good, but I know you're working good. Yeah. So I'm going to hold on and be try to be faithful and press through this thing. And and God has done that. I mean, he, he helps us through that. Yeah. But we're all vulnerable to to anxiety. I've, I've learned that. And yeah. I I have a greater empathy for people that struggle with that. Um, for me, it's getting in the word, getting with good people, keeping yourself healthy. Mm. I think uh, a lot of times we pull away from the things that we need to do to keep our body healthy, which will also keep our minds and our emotions and spirits healthy as well. I think God wants us to be healthy and as, as a total person. And uh, so, you know, getting that workout schedules going, hydrating all the time, you know, keeping yourself positive, keep yourself engaged, keep yourself in a, in a growth environment, all those things to me, help me to stay focused on the things I need to focus on and not allow these distractions and, and almost oppressive type attitudes of anxiety to try to come into you. So yeah. I'm just going to press those out, you know? Yeah. And uh, that's, I don't know. Hey, I'm the worst about that because I'm not a counselor. Yeah. yeah you're, 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 you're a coach though. We're, you know, we're, we're coaching people with, uh, with some of those, with some of those solutions. And the last question that well, I, have, I have one more after this, but but this one is for people that are, um, you know, they're, they're trying to force things. They're trying to push things and they're, they're they don't have spirituality or they don't have a level of faith because they haven't had any exposure to it. You know, what's a way that somebody could get started on that journey? What's what what would you advise to say to somebody that needs a little bit more of that in their life because they're just pushing and grinding and trying to make it all happen on their own? Yeah, that is a challenge. Um, a couple of thoughts come to mind. One is um, try to seek out some friends that 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 you you love and trust to that that are people of faith, mm. and and start some conversations uh, with them. Um, and you know, uh, I think another thing is is that as we as we can get somewhere in a quiet place um, and and just kind of open our hearts up to the realization that there is a God. Um, he does love us uh, and he does want to speak into our lives. Uh, but oftentimes we are so busy with life and the demands of life, and the pressures of life that often we don't slow down to that realization or we have a distorted image of God, you know, that, that really God's a distant God. He doesn't care about me. He's not really engaged in mankind or if there was a God, why would we be having all these things? And I, I understand all those arguments that, that people have to try to come up against the, the statement of that we do believe there is a God and, and that he does love us and that he, he sent his son Christ to bring salvation to us. So I, I think trying to find the right people, um, if people have the courage, I'd encourage them to find a Bible somewhere and open up to the book of John and just begin to read the story of, of Jesus and what he came to do, what, what his whole purpose is to come to bring us into a love relationship with our creator, our heavenly father. I mean, even Albert Einstein, 
you know, when he looked at the universe, I mean, there's not been hardly a more brilliant mind ever than Albert Einstein. And he came to the conclusion. He said, when you look at the divine precision of our universe, it boldly declares that there was a creator. Hmm. This was not by half and chance. This did not happen. Yeah. And, and uh, I, I love that, you know, and sometimes it's just us coming to focus with that and then being open to that because the Bible says, if we seek God, even though we might not have any formal training or been brought up in a church or brought up in a synagogue, and we do not have any really understanding of the scriptures, but here's the thing I know. I really believe that every human heart, we were created to be in relationship with God. So if we are, no matter where we are, if we would stop and have an honest time of just opening our hearts up, opening our minds up and, and just asking and seeking God to reveal himself to us, I really believe he will begin to speak to us okay. and then seek out people of faith and um, start building relationships and start taking some baby steps mm. in this walk with God. And I tell you, every step we take towards him, he's going to be running towards us. Yeah, I love it. I love it. My last one for you is this. I call this the Becoming a Champion show. I feel like we're all on a journey to become our champion self and become champions and help other people become champions. To the coach, what does the word champion mean to you? Hmm. You know, I, I, when, when I think about a champion, uh, I, I think about many components of that champion. I First of all, I think about the um, dedication, hard work, uh, discipline, mm. commitment that they've had to make to their, to their sport to, or to whatever it is, their field, uh, to accomplish what they've accomplished. There's been great sacrifice mm. and discipline involved uh, in, in the champion's life. And then the second thing I think about when I think about the word champion is I think about inspiration. I, I think there is, there's not only been this sacrifice and discipline for them to achieve what they've achieved, but there is an inspiration behind that because it gives us an inspiration that we can live or perform at a higher level. It's mm -hmm. kind of like the old story of, of Roger Bannister. Remember, he was the first man to ever break the four-minute mile barrier. Yeah. People thought it was impossible. And Roger Bannister on a wet, soggy cinder track with big old high speak, uh, spikes on ran and broke the, the four minute mile barrier. Hmm. When he broke that barrier, Dana, it's interesting within weeks and months, multiple other people broke the barrier. They thought it was impossible, but once somebody did it, it then helped others believe they could do it. Hmm. And I love that inspirational part of, of a champion's life. When you're around champions, it inspires you to go, maybe I can just take my life, my performance, uh, whatever it is to the next level. And, and, and that's what I love about champions. So there, there's the sacrifice and discipline, and there's the great inspiration that comes. And the one thing I've learned about also, because I've had the privilege to hang around a lot of great champions in sports and a lot of great champions in life, and champions care about helping others become champions. Hmm. And they not only want to inspire you, but they, they're willing to invest in you. True champions are willing to reach back and make an investment into yeah. other people's lives to help them perform. You know, one thing I love right now um, that a lot of the young golfers still come to Jack Nicklaus 
and seek out his counsel. I was with him just a couple of days ago and uh, he was getting up, getting ready to leave the house. And I said, where are you going, buddy? He said, ah, and he mentioned the golfer's name, uh, one of these young golfers. He wanted me to come watch his swing today. And uh, Jack was heading over to the practice range to uh, watch this young golfer swing uh, to see if he'd give him a few tips. Uh, and I said, mm, that's what champions do. You know, champions are always willing to invest into others. So I think, you know, the interesting thing is uh, oftentimes in our lives, we're looking for someone to invest in us. And I've coached people up to do this. When you're looking for someone to invest in you, why don't you first go find someone you can invest in? And the old, there's an old biblical principle said that as you sow, you will reap. So if you're trying to help others, lifting others up, suddenly you'll turn around and there'll be a champion there lifting you up. Yeah, I love that. That's awesome. So cool. Well, I told you that was going to be a good one. And if you're like me, you're pumped up right now. You're excited. You're ready to go. And that's the way I feel whenever I listen to the coach speak. The words are inspirational, they're motivational, they're encouraging, and um, they always seem to hit you right where you needed it that day. So I hope you take the big five, that that you bring the energy, uh, you know, you feel victorious in all that you do, you, you are focused on excellence, you make no excuses, you're absolutely fearless, and you attack every single day. That's all we can ask. And if you enjoyed today's episode, give us a thumbs up, give us a like and share it with somebody that's looking to feel like a champion that wants to run with champions and that wants to be a champion in all that they do. This is Coach Dana Cavalier, and I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Becoming a Champion show, and I will see you next week. Thank you, and stay strong. Let's go.